I'm Katherine Spearing, and this is Uncertain. For this episode, I am delighted to interview Diane Langberg. There are so many things I could share, but I'll share one story that you can read in her new book, Redeeming Power. When she was in grad school, she encountered a woman who told her about an experience of sexual abuse. Diane went to her supervisor for advice, and her supervisor told her not to believe the woman. The supervisor said that women often told these kind of stories to get attention. But Diane kept hearing stories of abuse and made the pivotal decision not to listen to her supervisor, but to listen to the women. This is a catalyst for Diane's work as she has been a huge voice in understanding abuse, abuse in churches, and sexual abuse. She's a psychologist, writer, speaker, and sits on the board of GRACE, Godly Response to Abuse in Christian Environment. Most of us who are survivors of spiritual abuse or abuse in churches eventually find our way to Diane's work because she very specifically speaks to the spiritual component of abuse, especially when that abuse occurs in a Christian environment. But before we dive into the interview, I have two huge announcements. First, this is our season finale. What? Season one is done. I can't even believe that we completed a full season. But seriously, guys, this whole thing is because of your active listenership. And you can't call something season one unless there are plans for a season two, which there are. Season two is being recorded right now. Earlier this week, I sent out an email to the mailing list asking for topic suggestions or ideas for topics you wish we would explore more. To be a part of that discussion, you can sign up for the mailing list at tearsofeden.org. Speaking of Tears of Eden... The next announcement has to do with that. I am so excited to tell you that we are officially a tax-exempt 501c3 nonprofit. We have been working so hard for this because it means all donations to support the work of Tears of Eden and the Uncertain Podcast are now tax-deductible. As we continue to build this community and resource for survivors of spiritual abuse, your partnership and support is invaluable. You can get details on how to donate by going to tearsofeden.org support. And now, here is our final episode of Uncertain's Season 1 with Diane Lingberg. Hi! Hi! How's it going? It's getting cold. Any snow or anything? A big snowstorm Wednesday. Oh boy, that's exciting! (laughs) So I have to admit, I'm kind of freaking out a little bit. And I'm going to yes. take 10 seconds and just fangirl because you <laughs> are just a champion to the shadow world of spiritual abuse survivors. And so I'm so excited to get to talk to you today. And I, I was like literally freaking out the past two hours. I can't believe I get to talk to you. I'm so excited. <laughs> well, hopefully I will not disappoint you. <laughs> oh, I don't think it's possible. Yeah, I... I loved your book. I probably highlighted 30 things on every single page. And I think one of the things that I really appreciated about it was one of the things that I'm personally interested in and studying is not just like abusive leaders, but then also the system that supports them and puts them in place. And 
as we're getting comfortable with the idea of just because someone has the title of pastor or um, speaks eloquently theologically doesn't necessarily mean that they're safe. And then we remove the head and we think everything's fine. And that's not necessarily the case. In fact, a lot of the times it's not. And your book addressed that. And so (laughs) I was just inwardly cheering while I was reading it. So it's awesome. Thank you so much for the work that you put into it. Well, you're welcome, and I'm glad to hear those things, and I'm sorry you had to figure out what all this mess was. <laughs> exactly. Yes, me too. Definitely prefer prefer not to know for sure. Are you okay if we just dive in? Are you sure. ready to I go? Am. All right, let's so. do this. Let's do this. So one of the things that I noticed that you did throughout the book was you compared abusive power and then Jesus Christ and what he's like, and then abusive power, and then Jesus Christ and what he's like. And I was just wondering if you would expand on that a little bit, and that contrasts us a little bit, considering that so many abusers in the church do act in the name of God. Yes. I think in many ways, uh, the body of the church has lost its understanding of what church actually means, that it's not an institution, a system, or a building. It is actually people who love and obey Jesus. Mm -hmm. That's the body. And so we have externalized it and, and made it human things that need to be successful because they're human things being done for God. Mm -hmm. And so I think that leads to all sorts of problems, including things like abuse. I also think we don't think that much about the incarnational nature of God in Christ, and that he was the word of God made in the flesh. He put skin on, because we weren't getting just the word. Mm -hmm. We needed to see the word and touch it and hear it. And so he, he, he put on flesh and came not just saying the name of God, he used the name of God to make people do things. Yeah. He was the thing itself and called us to be like him and follow him. And I think we, we also have lost sight of the fact that if you say in the name of something, what you're literally saying is with the character of something. Hmm. It's not just the verbal word of, you know, this is God's church and we are his people and this is God's way and I'm telling you to do this because God would like it. That's not what it means to be in the name of Jesus at all. Yeah. So the, the character has to line up with the words. Yes, yes. Yes. And when he was here in the flesh, he showed us the character of God. Mm-hmm. And we're called to do the same. Absolutely. Do the same. And he did it quite differently than the way we think it ought to be done. <laughs> yeah, building on that a little bit, how would someone know that it's being misused? That God's, or how would they know that they're in a spiritually abusive system or an abusive system because someone is often using God and using the Bible? Sometimes you don't know because it can be done very subtly. But there's a sentence that Oswald Chambers says, which is that crisis reveals character. Hmm. And so the question is often answered in spaces like, what happens if you disagree with a leader? Yeah. How is that received? 
um, what happens if you don't follow something exactly or you have questions about it? You know, what kind of pushback do you get? Power tries to control, to manipulate, to intimidate others so that there are no ripples. Mm -hmm. And so when you have an experience like that with a human, you need to give pause and, and assess it and understand what it is and go back to the person and talk about it. If you have somebody who's chronically doing those things, then you've got a different problem. <laughs> All of us do things like that. We try to control somebody or manipulate right. them or whatever. So it's not like this is the one-time deal in 20 years, but you know, it's a perpetual pattern of leading by control, manipulation, and intimidation. Often those things are carried out by quoting God. Yeah. You said power tries to control so that there are no ripples. Is it possible that someone could notice just like this appearance of, of perfection or, or things put together and, and no mistakes, like that could be a sign of an unhealthy system of like we're trying to keep everything smooth. As cover in cover up. up. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Because it isn't always smooth with humans, no matter who you are. <laughs> especially in ministry, especially yes. in church ministry. Yeah. It it's is. a messy, it's a messy world. It is. It's a hard world to work in. Mm -hmm. It's an honor and it's hard. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. What would you say to someone who just wakes up and discovers that they are in an abusive system? Well, number one, I would encourage them not to spend the next two hours talking themselves out of that observation. Because mm -hmm. <laughs> we, we often try to do that, partly because we don't want it to be true. Mm -hmm. You know, if you have somebody who you've had as a shepherd in your life, and you look, step back at some point and see patterns and realize this is not a safe shepherd, you don't want that to be true. Yeah. And so our first reaction is often to talk ourselves out of it. Or to minimize it in some way. You know, everybody has a bad day. Everybody's a sinner. We use these ever, everybody words, <laughs> mm -hmm. which are attempts to make it okay. The fact is you need to talk to somebody else about it probably first. You need to find a safe person to tell your story to. So that doesn't have to be somebody in the church. It, doesn't, it can be a professional. It doesn't have to be a professional. But you need to have somebody who will be a refuge for you to talk about what has been happening in your life with whoever this person is and how it's affecting you and what your options are going forward. Those kind of people are hard to find, mm -hmm. but they are out there. Yeah. And obviously it needs to be somebody who can be trusted to not blab. <laughs> You're right. Especially if they're in the same church. Yes. With you. Yes. For sure. Yes, um, which is why a lot of times people end up in our office, you know, we're, we're separate from mm -hmm. and have experience with. And so it feels safer, which I understand. When someone does find themselves in the situation, I feel like there's, there's often like two different options. You can try to fight it and like try to, you know, speak into it and challenge it or leave. And those end up kind of being the two options. Is there a way to know like, when it's time to, to go if you're in an abusive system? Well, if you think back to Jesus, who went in and out of God's temple, which was an abusive system, 
It used the little and the poor. It certainly wasn't following what God had called the leaders of the system to do. And he went in there and spoke and spoke and spoke and spoke the truth and invited, not demand, but invited. And they did not respond to that. And then he went in with um, whips <laughs> and turned the tables over. In other words, he caused a major disruption. And he called them, you know, a den of robbers. You've made the father's house a den of robbers. And the literal translation of that is a safe place for people who steal. Hmm. So that means that the synagogue or the church becomes a safe place for the abusers, not the sheep. Mm -hmm. He did it twice. He did the whip thing twice. And then we read in the scriptures how he walked out of that synagogue and stood on the hill and he wept. And he said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I would, but you would not. And he never went back until he was on trial. They didn't put him in the synagogue then to do it anyway. But the point is, you invite. And one of the things that's dangerous about abuse is that if you end up wanting to fight it, you can be abusive in the fight. Hmm. The stuff's contagious. <laughs> yeah. So, but he, he didn't just do it once. He did it in many ways. Mm -hmm. He made it very clear. He called it by its right name. And when they slammed the door on him the last time, he said, okay. I will honor your choice. This is mm -hmm. not what I want. I would, but you would not. Mm -hmm. So that's not a rigid pattern, but I think it's worth informing us in terms of what we do. And, but I also think that one of the things that victims fall prey to is not thinking about care for themselves very often in these scenarios. And so you, you, you're a person too, <laughs> and in the image of God and loved by him. And so you don't want to keep doing something banging your head so many times it ends up misshapen that's right. not what he's he's calling you to invite and mm -hmm. for some it may be one or two times and for some it may be 10 years i don't know mm -hmm. but don't assume that yeah. you shouldn't leave because they haven't listened yet right yeah no that's really encouraging for me personally because i think about the abusive church that i recently left and i still go back in my mind i'm like did i stay too long should I have left sooner? You know, and and I I know I know the moment that I knew it was over, and I turned in my resignation two months later. It was mm -hmm. like I just knew that the fight was over, and there was nothing more I can do. And so that's just encouraging for me because there isn't this timeline like you should do it for two weeks, you should do it for two months. It's kind mm -hmm. of it's very internal. Mm -hmm. It's very. Um, I think you point this out in your book a lot in communication with God and just talking yes. to God yes. as you're doing it in, in the process. And there's a time to leave and there's a time to stay and, and challenge. Yes. Sure. Yes. And he has you in mind in terms of what he wants. He's not going to have you do this until you're ruined and not able to stand up. You know, mm -hmm. he, he's watching over you. It's he longs for his church to see the truth, but he doesn't want you under the wagon wheels. Right, right. And a lot of people will say, you know, you've given up. You've, you, you no, surrendered. I, yeah, I've left it to God. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> My human voice is not having an effect. I yes. will leave it to others and to him.
Yes. Yeah, that's super encouraging. I'm glad we're not done yet. I'm glad we have so much more. This is like <laughs> <laughs> this is like a fire hydrant of of great info. I'm so so grateful. All right. Kind of on the same lines and you might have already answered this question, but in the case of spiritual abuse a lot of times god is invoked and scripture is used what are some ways that someone can prepare to know when scripture is being misused well the first answer to that is be an avid student of the word yourself not just to gain knowledge but to see what jesus is like and how he lived the more we soak ourselves in that the more we see what doesn't look like that we see it more clearly. But the other thing we need to ask is, how is scripture used? Is it used to always tell people what to do? And if you push back or ask questions, you get anger or judgment or punishment of some kind, which again is not like Christ at all. And so you want to watch responses to disagreements, so to speak. Responses to pushback, responses to confusion, all of those things. If a blind obedience seems to be required, that's nothing like the good shepherd. Hmm. When he, he takes his sheep out the pasture, he, he leads them. He goes the, in the same path, on the same road, to the same field, hmm. and they follow. When you don't have that kind of response, then something else is going on. Yeah. So knowing the word yourself and then testing when you ask questions and when you challenge things, how is how are they responding? Yeah, that's great. That's great. One other piece of that is I think that a true shepherd responds with empathy. You know, suppose you go in and you said it was very troubled by this when you said this, and then you said it again three weeks later, and it was, this is how it's affecting me, or this is what I, is confusing about it. If there's no entering into that confusion, no concern about that outcome, no care or comfort in that place, something's not right. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. And how we feel, how we feel is so important. Yet a lot of times, what part of the spiritual abuse is is telling you that your feelings don't matter. Yes. Don't trust yes. your heart, and you know, trust God. Don't trust how you feel. You're you're sinful. You can't be trusted. So I think that could be really challenging. But they can. <laughs> Good. This good is a point. problem. <laughs> good point. Good point. Great point. Why? Why are they more trustworthy than than someone else? So yes. Good point. Yes. Very great point. Love it. I appreciated so much that you included a portion about the power dynamics between men and women in your book, and how might the emphasis on the submission of women create soil for abuse to grow? Well, a lot of ways, frankly. <laughs> but the main thing is that all humans, male and female, are called to submit to God. If you tell men to submit to God and women to submit to men, you're doing something not scriptural. He's my Lord. No human is my Lord. Be it in government, be it in the home, be it doesn't matter where it is, be it in the church. No human is my Lord. And there is nothing in scripture that tells me not to assess, not to check what's true and what's not true, not to think. All of those things 
And so that word often gets used to basically mean sit down, shut up, and don't think about it. Just do what you're told. Mm -hmm. Now, most people don't say it that way. Some do. Right. <laughs> but that's the essence of it. And so what we're doing is essentially silencing half of the body of Christ. Mm -hmm. Weakening yourself. It's like shooting one leg off. Very I mean, problematic. God created all humans to look like him and to follow him. First, foremost, and always. Mm -hmm. And so when we, we shift that and have them following a human leader, a spouse, a government, whatever, something's off. It's not of him. It doesn't matter your gender or anything else. Yeah, and that can lead into what you were saying before. If there's, you know, someone because of their gender isn't allowed to question isn't allowed to speak prophetically and say, and challenge and say that this is, then that that is a sign of a very unhealthy, potentially toxic system. If if someone because of their gender is is being silenced, and like you said, it is it tends to be more subtle subtle than that. Because yes, not yeah. always. That's yes, <laughs> yes, and depending the, on the church. The other thing we don't hear a lot in the church is studies of the women in the scriptures. And a long time ago, I sat down to do some study in that area. And one of the things that really struck me in that time and has stayed with me is that when Christ was risen, I think that probably most Christians would say that's the most important piece of truth we ever got. So when he's risen, he showed up with Mary Magdalene and told her to take the news to his disciples, who were men. This is a woman who was a female, mm -hmm. who only could go in the women's court in the synagogue. So she was on the bottom line of the ladder there, who was not allowed to testify in court because females' voices were not trusted. Mm -hmm. And you and I know that there's a resurrected Christ because she went back and told a bunch of men who had run away. Her submission was to him first. Mm -hmm. That's what he calls us to. We're all to be like her. Yeah, someone called that the first post-resurrection sermon, and I was like, oh, I like it. That's a yes. apt, yes. apt description mm -hmm. <laughs> of yes. that. Super powerful. So you have a chapter in there about, or I guess this message is kind of throughout the book a little bit, but that we are very prone to forgive the abuser and the perpetrator, quote, forgive the abuser and the perpetrator and support the counterfeit shepherds. You call them counterfeit shepherds. And it, it's so easy for us to dismiss the, the victims. And so why are we so prone to support the abusive shepherds or the counterfeit shepherds, as you call them? Well, a part of it is that we're afraid that if it's true, everything will fall down. Hmm. Part of it is that we have been taught, many of us in homes growing up, and certainly in churches as well, that the leaders in the church are the authority. And they're God-given, and we need to listen and obey them. And if a shepherd is found to be an, a, 
abusive in any way or immoral in some way or whatever, and we expose it, the whole place is going to go, it's going to fall apart. If the victim goes away, nothing falls apart. Mm. Because the victim isn't the one in the pulpit or the one leading the institution or whatever it is. Of course, everything will fall apart if the victim goes away and nothing is looked at Mm -hmm. from God's perspective. It, the rot will be slower, perhaps, but it will be there and it will go on. The other thing that I think we have lost sight of is, you know, it, it, by and large, human beings don't wake up one morning and decide to abuse a child. Yeah. I mean, it just doesn't happen like that. And so the whole process of deception of myself and others is an ongoing, long-standing problem in people who do certain things, like continually abuse people in their care. And so when we say to them, you know, they say, yes, I did that. And maybe they say, yes, I did that. And they cry and they ask to be forgiven. That's enough. We've abandoned them. Hmm. That's not how change happens in any of us. And any of us who are honest about habits in our lives, whether they're thought habits or action habits or anything else that we know we shouldn't have that are Mm -hmm. sinful, that are hurtful to others. And we have decided to go before God and repent and work on that. We know that it is really hard to change and that there's something under the thing. And then there's something under the thing, under the thing. Mm -hmm. There's roots in us Mm -hmm. for a harsh tongue or a gossipy thing or whatever we do, the roots. And it's very difficult. So we leave the abuser in that place With the roots still growing, they will flourish again. And the prison and the darkness and the deadness of anything like that, you know, that is disobedient to God will rot that soul and we will have helped it. Mm. So we think we're protecting an abuser. We're not. Mm. Yeah, because we're we're quick to see them as isolated incidents. Yes. Rather than connected to a whole internal system yes yeah and the work work that they're doing is important Mm. and besides it would completely disrupt my life (laughs) it would (laughs) would. it certainly would so we end up protecting the sin yeah how does the power dynamic play into because usually like in a church system if there there's an abusive pastor there is that power dynamic and, and so when a victim does come forward, how does the power dynamic play into the victim getting dismissed? Well, it, it plays in very strongly because you can get a victim to leave a church and the church will still come on Sunday morning and everything will look normal. Mm-hmm. There'll be one person missing. You, if the pastor's not in the pulpit the next week, he got some talking to do. <laughs> it's right. a problem. And you're going to have to, uh, probably a division about it. And you're going to have all kinds of things happening. And so it, it's much more messy. And so the person in power is protected so that the rest of us can still have a normal life. Normal in terms of the, what we're used to. And the victim is the uh, rock in the shoe. You dump off the shoe. Keep on walking. How might, so if there is a... Um potential like a perpetrator who is a pastor who is preaching from the pulpit on Sunday seemingly those who are not being directly abused uh don't suffer seemingly are there ways in which that is actually affecting the rest of the flock 
that are unseen? Perhaps not overtly, but let's just take an example. Let's say you have the leader of a church or any Christian organization, mission, whatever, who is deeply addicted to pornography. So that that's at least a daily diet, if not more. Mm -hmm. Shaping that soul and that mind and everything else. And the person is bright and verbal and, you know, stimulating in speech and all that kind of stuff and has a lot of knowledge of the scriptures. And for years, teaches all kinds of things until somebody discovers what's going on and, and they, you know, they hopefully have to leave. What we don't know is how all of that we got was filtered through that mind. It didn't come out pure. There is no purity in the mind. Mm. And it didn't come out through a person, both lived or verbalized, who was walking in obedience to Jesus Christ. Mm. Doesn't mean you didn't get anything true. Right. But it, it did, but it was subtle. It had to be. You can't study the Word of God and teach the Word of God and marinate in pornography and have that be okay. Mm -hmm. Or not bother anybody but you. Right. It, it's, it doesn't work like that. And that's, that's a, a reason why it does affect the whole congregation and it is something that the whole congregation needs to be attuned to because to say, well, he didn't abuse me, that might be true but it still affects the whole congregation, all of well, he, the listeners. He, yes, he brought poison into the system. And part of what we do is, it's what we don't do. And people don't know it's missing. You know, if somebody's an entertaining preacher and smart and all those kinds of things, but there's no real life inside coming out, mm -hmm. we don't know what's missing. It's very sad. Very sad, for sure. In one of your chapters, you discussed this soil that abusive pastors grow in, and you named a few things, and the list kind of goes like this. A pastor or abuser isn't, isn't considering their own personal history, and they're not working with their own story. For an, You gave an example of either someone who came from an abusive home or someone who came from a home that had really high spiritual standards. So they're just come from a place of pride and arrogance. Um, pastors who don't have oversight, they don't have mentors, they don't have friends who are, all, who not, who are not also a part of their flock. So they're not really accountable to anyone. There's training in like theology and the Bible and all that kind of stuff when they receive their training, but um, there's not a huge emphasis on character in ministry. And as a seminary grad, I can attest to that. You don't graduate based on character, you graduate based on grades. And that's just how it works. And then they're also, also the things that are praised and are used as a means for success are things like charisma or being a gifted teacher. And you say, when the soil repeatedly produces a bad crop, it is foolish to be angry with the plants. I would love to hear a little bit more about the system that seems to create these leaders and why this combination of things is so problematic. You, you talked about some of the things that would produce that in that 
you can go to a Christian school for four years and then go to a well-renowned seminary for three years and never have anyone have you look at yourself. You're the instrument. The instrument matters. Anybody who works with tools know that instruments really matter. Mm -hmm. And they can make the job do well or make the job get all messed up. But there's no looking at it. And so pastors, I've worked with a lot of pastors through the years before I began working with how they collided with abuse victims. But um, they would come in, they come into my office struggling and depressed and anxious and weeping and all kinds of things and don't know what to do. They don't have any place to go. Mm. And you often find out that, you know, working with them, they have horrible histories. Mm. Some of them are abuse victims, of course. Some of them come from homes full of violence and rage, uh, come from fathers who have called them a stupid idiot for their whole lives. And they went through school and got straight A's and now they have a pulpit and everybody thinks they're brilliant. They're not gonna say anything to make that go away. They mm -hmm. feed on the things they're hungry for and they're rightly hungry for because mm -hmm. their histories were messed up in some way. So I think part of it is that we need to look at the way we train because again, the instrument matters. If you have a broken clarinet, it's not going to make pretty music. It doesn't matter how well you play. Mm -hmm. And so I think we need to change the kind of training. And you know, I went to graduate school. I'm a big reader. I like knowledge. It's not, I'm, it's not against that. It's both. It has to be both. Mm -hmm. And we haven't made it both. And so we, we set pastors up. Because their gifts, we think, are wonderful and their intelligence and all those things. And we put them in these places that are isolated, where they're the top dog, where they can't tell anybody what they struggle with because they might lose their job. It's hmm. terrible. And so we, as the body of Christ, have contributed to this. Mm -hmm. And we have made the emphasis, both for the pastors and for the church, on externals knowledge, brilliance, money coming in, numbers in the pews, you know, something somebody's famous for, whatever. And we say, see, 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 but we're not, I mean, pastors are sheep. Yeah. They're not the shepherd. Mm -hmm. And they need to be shepherded too. Yeah. And we, we have not done that well. Yeah, makes me think of maybe a potential way to maybe notice a, a yellow flag or something in a church system is, is what are the things that are, are celebrated? Like, do we talk about that this pastor has an Ivy League degree or how many people attended this event or what are the things that are emphasized yes. as successful? Because that's, that demonstrates what, what they're going to be valuing in these pastors and if that's going to be something that the pastor just kind of uses as a crutch maybe to to get through and not have to have accountability. Would you say that the church can attract abusers or, or basically, I guess maybe what is a reason that I feel like there's a lot of formerly abused young men who find their way into ministry? 
what is what might be a reason for that? Well, if you think about, let's say, um, a, a young man who goes off to college and came from a very abusive home that maybe had abuse in it for several generations, which is often the case, and went to college and came to Christ through Campus Crusade or InterVarsity or something, and loves Jesus and wants to serve him. And he's smart and finishes college and everybody says he should go to seminary and all that kind of stuff. Nobody's caring for his soul. All those things about him are true. But what he did was, and somehow we have this in our heads like this is a spiritual thing that ought to be happening. He came to Christ so nothing else mattered. You know, we don't take care of people. And we do that, not just to pastors. We tend to do that. So he goes, he goes to seminary. He graduates with honors. He ends up at a church that's well-known as an assistant or associate. And he makes a name for himself and all that. And 25 years later, the whole thing comes crashing down because they find us being having sex with six women. N nobody took care of him when he was 18. So many of them are men who truly want to serve God. They mm. came to Christ, they're baby Christians, they want to serve God. There's nothing wrong with that, obviously. It's admirable, it's, it's wonderful. Now what? Yeah. Now what? And it's the now what that we have failed in. We've Amen. encouraged it. We've encouraged it. See, this person came to Jesus, their life's completely changed. Well, I don't know about you, but my, he's been working on my life for 72 years. <laughs> and he's not through. I can promise you that. So no magical conversions. <laughs> so we need to learn better how to love well, mm -hmm. nurture and feed and test. How would someone know? So if, say someone does come from that background and, and they have a lot of wounds in their life and they're going into ministry, how might someone know, okay, I, I am healthy enough to do this work that I feel called to, or if a system is like vetting a pastor, how would they know this person is, is, is making progress and is in a healthy place to do this work? How would you assess that? Well, I would want to know the history of, of that person. You know, tell me about growing up and your family and all those things. What were the hard places? Everybody had them. Every family has them. Where have you struggled? You know, where have you struggled to obey God? Where, what patterns in your life have troubled you? I mean, they're all character. I'm a psychologist. I mean, mm -hmm. <laughs> so they're, they're really all character questions more than where did you go to school? What was your favorite subject? How mm -hmm. would you preach? Not that those shouldn't be asked but they're not sufficient. And I also think that, and I think we've done this in the US, uh, we have put a lot of young men in the pulpits of really huge places and it didn't turn out very well. I mean, they, you know, they've been in the headlines for some years. Really young men or women who have not known Christ long, and even if they have, should not be placed in high places. Jesus came with humility. We need to learn some of that again. And we learn how to serve, learn how to serve him on the ground with the feet of others. <laughs> yeah. And little by little grow into a true shepherd because we have learned, first of all, to be a sheep who follows the shepherd wherever he goes, even if it seems like a really dumb idea. 
Yeah, and I appreciate that you outlined in your book um, Paul's sojourn in the wilderness, Jesus's sojourn in the wilderness. Like yes. these these people didn't just go conversion, boom, right to the pulpit. They had right? they Moses. had years of silence, yes, of solitude. Yes, and we kind of brush over those couple few verses. We skip them. Yes, we do. <laughs> so I feel like I get this question a lot when we you know, another pastor in the news, another pastor in the news, another pastor in the news, people experiencing personal abuse in the church. And yeah, how can someone continue to stay in the church and then continue to claim and identify as a Christian when it can so often be a place of abuse? Well, first of all, that's a very individual decision as far as I'm concerned. I mean, if you know Christ, you are in the church. Mm. Whether you go to a building or not, you're part of the body and he's the head. Pastor's not the head. So it, it isn't that you leave. Your faith, faith might be wrecked by some of these experiences. That certainly happens, which is understandable. And I think that isn't something that can be pushed or changed. It needs to be walked with and listened to and understood. And there are probably parts that needed to be wrecked, frankly, if you sat under somebody abusive for years. So I think part of it is figuring out how to be faithful with people who have been so damaged in the name of God. But also to recognize that you are a part of his body, whether you walk in a door or not. And so how you want to utilize that or draw on it or learn from it or whatever is different for some people. You know, I've worked with people who've been victims in three churches in a row. Hmm. Well, they don't want to go anywhere. I get that. I mean, how many times are you going to burn your hand before you quit putting it in the fire? <laughs> so it just doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. So, you know, He's in his world. He's in nature. People who can't walk in buildings anymore because they've been crushed can go look at trees and water. He'll talk to them there. He'll woo them there. And they'll be safe there. Mm -hmm. So I don't put any pressure on people as if somehow being part of an institutionalized form or inside a building means you're a true Christian. Well, you know, Jesus went up on the mountains all the time and looked at the stars. He was worshiping. It, it's an individual decision. I know people who stayed away from church for years and then went around and visited a few and finally became part of something quite different from what they were used to years ago. I know people who can't get themselves there yet. And there are probably, you know, and there are people who get hardened by it and don't ever want to go back at all, which is very sad. Yeah, no. We need to rethink what we mean by church. True. Absolutely. Yeah. So any this is this has been fantastic. This has just been so awesome. <laughs> Still can't believe I get to I got to interview. I wanted to know if you have any final thoughts and then I have one final fun question for you. <laughs> Those are always a little scary. <laughs> yes. The final thought is 
not to confuse the person of Jesus Christ with the institution of the church. I've known him for decades. And working with this stuff brought me to the edge about church. Mm. I was not a victim. I was an observer of many trashed human beings mm. by people who said they loved God and still am. But there's a place in the scripture where God talks about the treasure of the darkness. It's in Isaiah. And he is the treasure in the darkness. Mm. So if you're a victim, he knows. He was wounded. He was naked. He was, he was a victim. You know, whatever you find in the darkness, he has borne. And it's him you seek, not a building. It's him. And they are not the same. Are they supposed to be? Uh-huh. But they are not. Yeah. Don't judge him by his so-called church. Judge his so-called church by him. Fantastic. That's, that's, I need that written on my mirror for sure. <laughs> every morning, every morning, judge the church by Jesus. Yeah. I love that about your book is just, it's just a constant pointing to Jesus and like, I'm not, this is not just statistics. This is, this is based on Jesus and who Jesus is and how the church is not, is not being Jesus in these ways. I, mm -hmm. I love that. That was so encouraging for me and refreshing and a fantastic reminder. And I will be reading, rereading your book many times. I know. So my final, final, just fun question is book, movie, show, TV show, or song that is meaningful to you right now? It can be anything for any reason. Well, I'm a big reader and I like to read dead guys. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I've actually gone back to C.S. Lewis recently. I read G. Campbell Morgan, who anybody who wants to know more about Jesus should read G. Campbell Morgan. Um, I, I like the dead Scottish guys for some reason. I, uh, <laughs> Is they, G. Campbell Morgan a dead Scottish guy? Yes. Okay. His four commentaries on Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John open, open your eyes to this person we call Jesus. The thing I like about them is it, it, he was brilliant and theologically solid and all that stuff, but he understood human beings. Mm. So does Lewis. Mm -hmm. C.S. Lewis understood human beings. Need that combination. Well, I am a psychologist. You know, <laughs> but yes, you do. You do. And so I read from that long pile with really old books in it over and over again, frankly. That's, That's awesome. Where I find food. Oh, I'm going to check that out for sure. Well, uh, yeah. Thank you so much, Diane. This was You're welcome. awesome. Yes. I was like so nervous beforehand. <laughs> I can't you're believe not I now. get to talk to her. <laughs> you survived. <laughs> I did. I did. I did. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Congratulations on the book. Okay, great. All right. Thank you. I will nice to have meet a, you. Nice to meet you. Have a wonderful, wonderful day. You too. All right. Bye. 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 
That's a wrap on our final episode. So glad you were able to join us today. Let us know what you think by using the contact info in the show notes. Don't forget to like, subscribe, or leave a review on your favorite podcasting listening apparatus. And we will see you back here in January for season two.